I am Maureen of Chicago. I am Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And we and are our first the glorious podcast. Welcome back to the show. We'll talk about our favorite trickster god Loki now streaming on Disney Plus. Well, as we are recording this, it is the day after Easter, and just like Jesus, we're also back. <laughs> uh, apparently, both of us actually uh, marked the reason for the season yesterday by uh, watching different versions of Jesus Christ Superstar, which is pretty on brand for us. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the hero with godlike powers whose father abandons him at his most vulnerable time, we're <laughs> talking about Thor Ragnarok today. <laughs> That's right, we're finally getting around to it. In April of 2022. <laughs> well, I mean... It's good that we've padded this out for as long as we have. It's kind of a miracle that we found enough stuff to talk about in between then. Speaking of Jesus. <laughs> hey. Although, while we're on the topic, it's just hilarious that uh, this morning I texted Megan just off the top of my head. I came up with idea for Herod's song, but it's the Grandmaster mocking Thor. <laughs> And she just, like, was so inspired, she wrote the rest of the song about it. Uh, yeah, I, so, I am actually on my first proper vacation in God knows how long. Um, and in this case, it's kind of a staycation. I'm, you know, I'm still in New York City and all that. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So I ended up just writing the New York City ferry system up and down various rivers for... What ended up being a good five and a half or six hours. I switched routes several times. I mean, and it's not like being on the subway, but she sent me this and I spent <laughs> almost the entire ride up from, I want to say about 34th Street to uh, Ferry Point Park up in like the North Bronx, like practically in Throg's Neck. Just furious. I, I, I had a blank, like, Muji notebook in my bag that I'd forgotten about, and I seriously just whipped it out and started just, like, scribbling lyrics down in pen. I typed it up. It's on my Twitter. <laughs> I even I even credited it as, as you know, music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Megan Lerseth <laughs> and Maureen Skaggs with apologies to Tim Rice. <laughs> we need to post that on uh, the podcast Twitter just to make sure... Oh, yeah, I will I will definitely be moving that there. <laughs> uh, so on top of that, as luck would have it, as we are recording this episode, it is the same day as the release of the teaser trailer to Thor Love and Thunder. Which, you know what, I, I reached a personal achievement here. I, I actually watched it. <laughs> Because you know how I've talked about being bad at watching things? That extends to trailers. I actually, I typically, like, try to avoid going into the movies until, like, into the movie theater until the trailers are done. I don't know why this is. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of of two minds about it. Because on the one hand, I'm loving the rich 80s fantasy on a billion dollar budget aesthetic. And seeing a Valkyrie in a pantsuit and Jane as CrossFit She-Ra is a lovely reminder my birthday is coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm 
concerned over the possibility of Loki being replaced by Peter Quill, because as we all know, Loki. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I don't even i I don't get the impression that he's going to be in the movie very much, though. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I would really prefer it if the Guardians were only in like Act One. I don't know. I'm just I'm very curious to see like the dynamic between uh, Star Lord and Thor. Because whereas we all know Loki worked as a perfect foil to him, here, rather than have, like, two opposite personalities fight off each other, we have two buff, blonde, high-functioning dumbasses. I mean, I, from the way that it's framed, I kind of get the impression that, and in a weird way, this actually is going to feed into um, some of the discussion that we were having about... um, how much that's established in Ragnarok gets completely overwritten (laughs) very quickly (laughs) afterward. I kind of get the impression that, you know, meanwhile, once you go out of, you know, the infinity war duology, which I, for the purposes of this episode, I just want to clarify again, I haven't seen, I don't think I ever intend to see. It's not that serious to me anymore. (laughs) I, I just, you know, I, you know, I this does not spark joy. So I don't I don't care about it. Honestly, I, you know, I spent a good six or seven years being all bogged down in MCU continuity and re- realizing that none of it matters was incredibly freeing. But anyway, um, I kind of get the impression that it's sort of like, you know, oh, it's left off with, you know, Thor going off with the Guardians. And I really got the impression from this trailer that it's kind of just like, Okay, well, you know, we now catch up with, you know, Thor having, you know, been hanging out with the Guardians for a while, but, you know, he's he's kind of striking out on his own. I, that's that's definitely the impression I got. Yeah, for sure. And of course, like, the return of Gore the God Butcher is like the call to action of like, okay, he can't stay complacent any longer. He has to do something now. And apparently Jane got like an extreme power up in between that time. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what also, I, you know, I remember this was announced a long time ago, but um, I realized that even though they don't show his face, but you can actually briefly see uh, Russell Crowe as, uh, he was playing Zeus, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. I was really impressed at the art direction they went for, for what I have to assume is Olympus. Yeah, I I do like that it seems to, you know, they did go with a very different, direction yeah it's very uh frank frazetta style yeah (laughs) yeah um and you know and again i'm i'm kind of at a point where it's honestly you know as much as i've always talked about how like i am always going to be here for thor movies i think at this point one of the reasons that i am still so emphatically here for thor movies is because they've kind of started digging into other stuff that i like so i can understand why somebody who's here because they wanted to be there for you know you know everything marvel thor connected and stuff like that i can understand why this might not have the same appeal to them but meanwhile i'm just like oh this is megan stuff (laughs) this is oh this is this is a megan vibe (laughs) Oh, as I was, I saw on Twitter, someone posted, like, uh, there was a shot in the trailer that is, like, an almost 
almost perfect replica of a uh, panel from the comics that they're drawing inspiration from plot-wise of Thor uh, with his back to the camera on a mountain and there's just like this enormous giant that's like dead and he's just like remarking kind of like almost Hamlet of like this was like a friend of mine I talked to him less than a century ago and he's taken down like it's nothing and I have an issue because the shot in the trailer like in the comic it's Thor by himself having like a little uh, soliloquy for his fallen monster friend and in the movie Korg's next to him so you fucking know any like sincerity and gravity is going to be deflated with a joke like saying oh don't worry mate he might still be alive oh oh no he's dead all right so um adjacent to various other things that have been happening in the pop culture sphere lately this has been a humbling two weeks of discovering that I am the I am like the only person I know who can do neither a straightforward impression of Reese Darby or what apparently is actually just Taika Waititi doing an impression of Reese Darby. <laughs> because apparently his Korg voice is literally him making fun of how Reese Darby talks. That's interesting because I was at uh, I was at the Thor Ragnarok panel in Hall H for Comic-Con, and the way Taika described his inspiration for the Korg voice was just like a New Zealand tour guide having the sweetest, calmest, mellowest tone that you just well, immediately want to be friends with. I I mean, that really kind of sounds like, like going for the same thing, if I'm going <laughs> to be honest here. Um, but I, I saw somebody actually posted today because... Um, we are. We happen to also be recording this in the middle of our flag means death mania. More on that later. Um, <laughs> and it, there was a mention in there that like one of the ways that he was polishing that was just by working on doing more and more of a Reese Darby impression. <laughs> 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 and anyway, I've discovered I am apparently the only person in my friend group who can't do that. <laughs> and I am just. I am sitting here just seething with jealousy because. I have been wanting to make so many Our Flag Means Death references, and I just, <laughs> and it's like, I, I can come up with really good Steed dialogue, but can I say it out loud? No. <laughs> well, that's what you have me for. <laughs> that's what I apparently have all of my friends <laughs> for. It's, <laughs> this is so frustrating. <laughs> So, without further ado, we shall finally have you know what our thoughts are on Thor Ragnarok. So, one thing about this episode, and it, like to some extent it still will be, is we were joking early on that this was going to be a little bit like one of those Siskel and Ebert episodes where they kind of would have like the back and forth, one person liked it, one person didn't thing. But... Even though that is kind of still the case for the final product, this actually ended up turning into an interesting discussion of, you could almost say, what studio meddling does to a motherfucker. Yeah. Because one of the things that kept coming up as we were discussing this was gradually finding out, or it coming up at least in conversation, that almost everything that Maureen mentioned disliking about this movie was in reaction to something happening backstage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whether it was trying to make an actor more comfortable in their costume, or an actor not liking the direction that their character had been going in in the earlier movies, 
and that accounting for their absence to the number of things that got overwritten in the sequels. A lot of this is just because of things that were outside of the movie itself. Yeah, I started uh, rewatching this movie, taking a lot of like notes that turned into like an angry rant. And then when I was texting uh, Megan my thoughts along the way, uh, she really brought up good points about uh, how this was like really an eye-opening educational experience on like how movies of like a mega franchise get made. And yeah, a lot of the time it's like, okay, but we're contractually obligated to do this to sell more toys and who cares if it's not very thematically consistent. Why do you think everybody always gets a new suit in each movie? Oh like, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It's, you know, it's, it's the exact opposite. If you really think about it of like, um, We've been talking about Mad Max lately for reasons that will come up later. Um, <laughs> although, come to think of it, I guess you can probably see some of the influence of that in Sakaar, now that I think about it. So I guess maybe it is related. Um, but we've been talking about that lately, and like, and um, I, I guess I might as well say it, because it actually is relevant to the discussion. So, in Our Flag Means Death, Blackbeard's costume is an almost one-to-one road warrior era mad max costume like there's some 18th century tooling on it and as people have pointed out a lot online the jacket is technically slightly more cropped <laughs> but it is it is that it is one-to-one -one down to the knee brace and one of the things that i pointed out to maureen is that you know it's not as obvious because at this by that point he's wearing a henley under it so the one sleevedness doesn't show as much and it's a lot more beat up and ragged, but like, you know, Tom Hardy is actually wearing the same outfit in uh, Fury Road. It's just not quite as my motorcycle suit looking anymore. But, but that's kind she... of the exact opposite of the Marvel ethos, is yeah. what I'm saying. But once she, that... once she explained that to me, I did have like a newfound respect for Taika uh, <laughs> basically taking a costume associated with a raging anti-Semite and it's basically like being like uh, taken back uh, by a Jewish actor. <laughs> it belongs to the the wide range of um, take that behaviors that I like to put under a very specific category called "suck my dick, my city now." Ah, <laughs> uh, you know that that is also very personally how I feel about Tomster Vampira relative to Roman Polanski. So, oh yeah, that's uh, oh, that that is a huge part of my of my Tomster Vampira feelings. Suck my fucking dick. It's my city now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel thinking like I can still love uh, Team Star Kids Harry Potter musicals. <laughs> Uh, so, what was your experience like seeing this in the movie theater for the first time? Um, well, okay, so for one thing, I specifically remember that it was while I was living in Howard Beach, which is the neighborhood of, um, it, it is a neighborhood in Queens that is practically suburbia, but I lived so close to the Brooklyn border that if I wanted to go to a movie theater, I would actually just walk 10 minutes and then I was in Brooklyn. 
And so that's where I saw it. And I saw it pretty late at night, actually. Um, and, you know, it had taken me a little bit to even get myself, um, you know, ready to go see it because I don't know if I've talked about it in here before, but for some reason I have a weird time seeing movies in theaters and I really do not know why it is. Um, sometimes I find it a very stressful activity. I, I, I cannot begin to tell you why. Um, but you know, I managed to, after a few false starts, I managed to get over there and do that. And I, I mean, for one thing, and this is also a very strong bias that I have toward this movie. Um, I kept thinking that there were a lot of jokes in there that I would have written or something (laughs) adjacent to it, because I do think that a lot of the jokes in this are a bit better than what I would have written, but they all felt very much in the same zone. And that, that really disposed, I mean, and on top of that, the way that Hello's characterized in this, I actually ended up texting Jess and I was saying like, this is literally if she, she has, she has a very strongly developed, um, like supervillain OC kind of situation that she's had almost the entire time I've known her since we were teenagers. And I remember texting her and just being like, you're going to love Hella in this because she's basically if Queen D wasn't played for comedy. And, and that's exactly what she feels like. Mm. So. <laughs> I mean, I kind of have emotional baggage with this movie, so that's probably clouding my bias of it. Uh, I saw this on a date uh, with a guy who I'm uh, no longer with uh, because I learned to love myself a little better after that. <laughs> right. Yeah, but... um. Yeah, I mean, it was a good crowd to see it with. It was just like... Oh, yeah, it was it was actually fairly empty. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the best way I can describe my feelings towards Thor Ragnarok is... Uh, imagine if you had just seen Tim Burton's Batman and Batman Returns, and then Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever was framed as the direct next canon installment and meant to be the conclusion of the Batman trilogy. And then imagine the popular consensus is that was the best one. And you'd be a little flabbergasted, wouldn't you? Well, okay, you know what? I I don't know if you know this, but Batman Forever is actually considered a direct sequel. (laughs) Oh, God. It is. (laughs) Like, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but it is supposed to be within the same continuity. Dear Lord. <laughs> uh, really, the only the only place where it's, like, acknowledged as kind of falling apart is Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face, when that was, you know, supposed to be, um, it was supposed to be Billy D. Williams, and he was in there as pre-scarring Harvey Dent in uh, the first Batman. But, yeah, no, they, they are actually considered to be in, in the same continuity. Okay, so uh, easier then. Imagine that, but like all the critics and fans saying, oh, that's when Batman actually got good when Joel Schumacher got in the game. They kind of now, sucked you know before. What? I, once again, I hate to tell you, but that's actually a rising school of thought. <laughs> I have been seeing a lot of people saying that like, you know what, you know what the best one is? It's Batman Forever. I, I don't <laughs> believe that. I really it, cannot it, wrap my mind <laughs> It's it's a thing. It's a thing. I mean, I personally am a Batman Returns purist. Same. But um, 
Although on the other hand, you know, I, I do, I do still also really love the first one. You, you just, you absolutely cannot go wrong with there being a Prince soundtrack for no good reason. Um, it's like, honestly, I prefer Batman and Robin just because it is so balls to the wall bad and outrageous. And like, that Batman and Robin is Schumacher at a 10 and Batman Forever is him at a 7, you know? <laughs> I mean, if I have to choose between two bad movies, I'm going to choose the one that has Arnold Schwarzenegger singing I'm Mr. Snowmeister. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, part of it is also just, I, you know, I do actually think that, uh, now see, I, I did a whole thread, um, I did a whole thread a few weeks ago about what my, about like, you know, my, uh, you know, reboot the, the, the Reeves verse, I guess you could say at this point, which we will discuss in another episode in more detail. I had this whole idea for how I would personally reboot Harvey Dent. And from that, you can probably get, if you go and look that up, you can probably gather that I have some very specific feelings about that character. And as a result, you can imagine I'm not particularly attached to the Tommy Lee Jones version. Um, <laughs> however, Jim Carrey Riddler, fantastic. Mm. Uh, he was the best part by far. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I mean, and for that matter, I also think it's one of those cases where it's not just, oh, this works. It's like, this is a good version of this character. Yo, absolutely. Like, like that is that is a great interpretation of a Riddler. Well, I mean, it was Jim Carrey when he was just, like, unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. But it's also just, I mean, you know, you, you, you want to talk about, like, you know, weird sexual undertones. Like... <laughs> You know, and, and except I mean that in a way that I think is actually really interesting and adds to the plot. You know, the, the whole, you know, the whole needing to become Bruce Wayne kind of thing is, is like, I just, I don't know. I think that that actually is a really solid Riddler interpretation. And that's one of the reasons why I'm just kind of like, you know, if people want to say that this is in the same continuity sure personally i think that movie looks like it happens in the same continuity as repo the genetic opera but that's another but that's that's <laughs> that's, that's another for, episode <laughs> yeah yeah uh so i remember uh seeing this film for the first time like i wanted to like it but then it got to a scene where i thought oh we're gonna have problems because it's the scene where uh, we see Loki posing as Odin and he's putting on a play. And it's just like, it only serves to exist to like make fun of people for liking the dark world. And it just feels like an affront to me of like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I wasn't supposed to care about this franchise until now and only now. Well, I've actually read what the description of that was supposed to be, and it wasn't even that it was supposed to be making fun of it. It was supposed to be acknowledging that it happened so that then they don't have to get too bogged down in, in the continuity. It's just like, yes, this did happen. This was this actually is part of this continuity. Now we're going to keep moving. It's not... It's it's. I don't think it's supposed to be, like, mocking you for it. Uh, I just think that in terms of Matt Damon cameos, Eurotrip did it better. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, like, my biggest gripe with this movie is it can never let earnest emotion settle in before uprooting it with a joke. I mean, like, I get the importance of, like, needing a laugh and relief, but you have to let the audience mourn in order to care about what's happening. Because, like, the, le- the more jokes are spaced in, like, the harder and harder it is to, like, really understand, like, the stakes at hand. Right. Right. I mean... Yeah. I, I, get, I do get what you're saying. I mean, if Thor Ragnarok were to be a limited edition breakfast cereal, it would have to be, oops, all comic relief. I don't know. I mean, maybe, as you've probably noticed, maybe it's also because I tend to immediately switch to making extremely dark jokes under stress. The thing is, I... That's the thing, though, is, like, you can't really call, like, the humor dark in this, necessarily. It's very... It's very Parks and Recreation humor, but, like, they take jokes directly from the show, like Thor uh, hitting getting hit with his own ball on the wall. Yeah, I mean, but again, that that is that is quite literally something I would have written. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, I realized the root of why we're having why this is our Siskel and Ebert episode is it really comes down to fanfic of how you would write Thor this way, but I would not write him this way at all with my fanfic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to keep in mind that there was at one point an, an exchange in, you know, the old RP board where, where there was a bit where, um, like, like literally just a throwaway line about Thor going through multiple cell phones because he kept putting his <laughs> finger through the screen and just being like, and I don't know how to fix that one. And Loki just staring at him and just being like, you don't fix that one. <laughs> That's not something that can be fixed. And Thor just like... You know, quite literally, I am not making this up in context with, with like, a mouthful of sandwich or something just being like, mm. <laughs> and just kind of shrugging it off. I mean, and that's actually something that's probably getting upcycled to another project that I'm working on. So, like... Nice. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'd find it better if you wrote the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I also even before this movie came out, uh, you know, I had Loki using, I, I mean, and part of this is also because I do feel that in like the agent of Asgard comic and like, even more so the, the, just the one that was just called Loki afterward, this is kind of how he talked in that as well. But, you know, using, you know, somebody, somebody asking, I can't even remember quite what it, Oh, Oh, it was, I think, something about, like, it was another character who, for completely, you know, literally just needing to cut something reasons, just looked over at him and was like, do you have a knife? And his first response was, okay, first order of business, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, and I can't remember what secondly was, but... Mm -hmm. So this was one of the earliest uh, moments when I was ranting to you while sort of, like, live blogging uh, me viewing this via text... This movie has a lot of good things going for it, but it has no idea how to use them to their full potential. Like, I am in awe 
over Doctor Strange being in this movie and then giving him nothing to do. Like, I'm sorry, but the Hulk should not have been included in the Battle of Asgard. It should have been Doctor Strange. He would have wiped the fucking Bifrost with Hela, okay? Like, he is the Sorcerer Goddamn Supreme. He could banish her to another dimension. He could remove her aura from her body, rendering her powerless. He could cast a barrier spell over the kingdom. And here he's as useless as a Jeremy Renner app. Okay, well, I, I just want to point out that while we're talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> there's a throwaway bit in, they did an arena tour version in 2012. It was filmed. It's, I mean, it's it's decent. I don't want to get too bogged down in it, but they, they went for a modern setting. And... Uh, one thing that really, really works in there is Herod is a game show host. And on top of that, it makes a hard shift from comic relief into straight up dystopian when the reason that he sends Jesus back to be condemned is quite literally because uh, Jesus loses a text-in poll. More people vote against. More people vote in favor of him being fake, than uh, than in favor of him actually, you know, being what everybody's claiming him to be. I, I don't even want to say what he's saying he is because he doesn't. That's kind of the point of the show. But anyway, but there's a throwaway caption about the poll that says something about like, or this would be a very short act too. Uh, something like that. And I'm just, and that's, and anyway, just to bring this back on topic, the reason I bring that up is because when it comes down to it, the reason that they had to keep Dr. Strange out of this is because it would be a very short act three. <laughs> like there comes a, like, if anything, I think that the problem isn't that they didn't use him for that. It's the fact that they briefly introduce him at all, which is what brings us to studio mandates. Boo. <laughs> That's when you start doing all of these things where it starts just getting almost exhaustingly like, remember, this is all one universe. This is all happening simultaneously. So every once in a while, you will have something like this insanely powerful character showing up and doing jack shit because really they never considered him part of the story. They put him in there for the purposes of reminding you that he exists. <laughs> Ah, oh, just terrible. So that's really what that is, because you're right. He could do all of that. And that's why they had to keep him far away from all of that. <laughs> uh, I'm also annoyed at the reveal of Hela being a long lost sister, because it's a massive plot point with pretty much zero foreshadowing. And it reminds me of those direct-to-video Disney sequels where, like, the villain of the first movie has a sibling who wants to avenge their deaths who was never mentioned before. <laughs> I mean, I think really the biggest complication of that is the fact that it's Hela. That's the part that makes it confusing to me because once again, just in terms of so much happening backstage, although this one isn't even quite so much meddling, but you know, need I remind you that shortly before this uh, this movie went into production, the comics decided that Thor and Loki had an older sister that they had never heard of. 
Oh yeah, Angela. who showed up out of nowhere. And in this case, I think it's particularly worth remembering in this context because here's the thing: Angela was not created as a Marvel character. Angela was created as a Spawn character. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, occasionally, if you go to like you know any kind of like comic book store or something that's going to have really old merchandise, sometimes you can actually even still find like 90s Angela figures. And, you know, and I understand that, you know, in the comics, or I should say in Marvel, considering the era in which she was brought into the fold there, they did seem to, after not very long, uh, decide to put her in more clothes. But, you know, if you think about her outfit, yeah, that, that's that's a pretty early 90s Todd McFarlane-y outfit, my dudes. Quite. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, so on the one hand, yeah, the whole idea to make Hella their sister out of nowhere. Like, you know, she doesn't have to be, although I do have some strong feelings on what they could have done with that that I've talked about with Maureen. But, um, and I will bring up later. But... I would be shocked if the idea of them having a sister out of nowhere wasn't directly pulled from that having just happened in the comics with honestly even less continuity going for it. I mean, especially because at the very least, I feel like, I mean, I know that this was confirmed elsewhere, but I feel like in the movie, the complete secrecy about Hela's existence, like, you know, Frigga's not her mother. Oh, yeah. For one thing. Like, like I think it's very obvious. Frigga is not Hela's mother. Um, which feels very strange saying it in this context because, you know, uh, just in case anybody listening is, has forgotten, um, the figure on which she is very loosely based, Hel, is actually Loki's daughter, and she's also, like, half dead, and none of that is going on with Hela. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, the fact is, is that, you know, that's... You know, Frigga's not her mother. In fact, she and Frigga are probably about the same age, which, okay then, Odin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Speaking of Odin um, doing questionable things. I mean, on the other hand, you know, in the comics, Angela is Frigga's daughter, and they just hand wave it by saying that, you know, because she thought she watched her die as a baby, she's never wanted to talk about it to them, and it's just kind of like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> all right i i guess <laughs> yeah i mean what's frustrating is one of the very few times when a scene is just allowed to completely be played with no laughs it just feels so unearned like odin leaving his children woefully unprepared for the destruction of their home planet right before dying peacefully, knowing he's leaving them to pay for the suffering he caused is the biggest baby boomer move in existence. <laughs> like, the last time he spoke to Loki, he had him, him imprisoned for life, and now somehow he always loved him? I guess. <laughs> I love how you can't rebut that. Oh no no no! I, I well look. I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in like defending Odin. Okay. Okay. Like... <laughs> uh, but another 
another thing I I'm, it feels like I'm just giving life a laundry list of grievances. I don't mean it oh that. no no I mean well and for that matter you know I, once again that feels weirdly cold from the comics arc that the the whole Angela thing was introduced in because um this may be the so. I don't know if anybody listening to this knows this, but I want you to know that Comics Odin is actually worse. <laughs> Comics Odin is actually significantly worse because at the very least, as like like Maureen said, movie Odin has a lot of boomer energy. And to a certain extent, you can tell that he means well, but that just doesn't pan out. You know? You know, you can tell that he's doing what he thinks is right, but it happens that he has a very shaky sense of morality. Um, I don't think the same can be said for comics Odin, who really is in many ways just a gigantic jagoff. <laughs> um, and that really didn't stop that same arc from uh, having a moment where, you know, I I should point out that, you know, Angela is not, you know her father's pet psychopath. I should, I should, I should emphasize that if you haven't read this, um, you know, she serves a very different purpose story wise. And so when the family's reunited, you just get Odin who has been made out to be just, you know, the only person that in his family worse than he is, is his brother. Like at one point we meet his brother and you think it's going to be a Thor and Loki situation. And then it's just like, wow, no, these guys are both jerks. Okay. <laughs> um, his brother might've been worse, but on the other hand, his brother also got left to suffer like at the bottom of a Canyon with every bone in his body broken for a while. And that fucked him up a bit. But anyway, um, you know, you get this, this absolute rampaging jag off Odin, like tenderly embracing all three of his children and just being like my children, my son, my daughter, my child, who is both. I love you all so much. And I am so proud of you. And it's kind of like, you know, to, to, to quote the great philosopher, Pete Davidson. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say to quote the great philosopher, Sandy cheeks. No, you ain't. <laughs> to like uh not having a lot of things going for it but not knowing how to like implement them properly i have such a grievance with the decision to kill off all the warriors three not even because they died but because they died and we never see thor's reaction to that i mean for all we know he never yeah. finds out what happened to his best friends. And if he can't be allowed to care about their loss because of that, then why should we? Well, yeah, I mean, really the only thing that the death has going for it is the fact that they finally gave Hogan a fucking moment of his own. Yeah. <laughs> that like, that is the one thing going for it. And that was that they finally decided that Hogan gets to be an actual character. Like, I know that they all die right afterward, but it was just like the one did, did I ever tell you my very specific Hogan headcanon? Go ahead. Okay, I, I didn't come up with this, but I, I love it. And that's that because he is the only Asgardian we see who doesn't have some very, have some kind of 
you know, British accent. Um, the idea that he was, that he is quite literally some dude from medieval Japan that Fandral and Volstagg were just like, this guy rules. He's coming back with us. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I think it checks. I, I, you know, because it's based on his accent, I think that checks out. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I should clarify that this wasn't because, like, you know, okay, so there's one Japanese dude in Asgard. I mean, for what little it counts, you do see other Asian extras and stuff and everything, but it's his accent, I think, yeah. that makes that that sells that idea. You know, he very obviously has a Japanese accent, so I love the idea that, you know, he actually is from Japan <laughs> in the MCU. Uh. So, the basic structure for this movie is Thor can't see his father again. He can't see his friends again. He is cast out into a strange new land without access to Mjolnir, and he has to level up through internal discovery and humility. Now, the problem is, didn't everything I just said already happen in the first movie? Yeah, except now he's also reckoning with the sins of his homeland. Uh, yeah, but I mean, pick a focus, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so my counterpoint to that is, yeah, but I think that the, I think that the, so we've talked a little bit about, like, you and me, we've talked a little bit about the, um, about how, like, the anti-imperialism stuff doesn't come through that strongly, but I think honestly, it's because I think that that's mostly a thread that got picked up in the direction and the framing of things. Because I do think that that is very strongly there in the final product. It just feels disjointed because I don't think it was written in necessarily, or it wasn't really written in very, I don't think it was written in much stronger than, you know, Oh yeah. You know, rampaging to take over other people's lives not good you know yeah. which i mean yeah but you know they, they thanks for clearing that up i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was talking to you earlier about how uh i had similar feelings to don't look up and like obviously climate change is a really important issue but i just did not like the movie because to quote roger ebert I don't care what a movie's about nearly as much as I care how it's about it. And, like, it's great that you have our attention talking about anti-imperialism, but can you be a little more specific on, like, the full weight of that, the legacy, how other people, how it affects those who've, like, directly been hit by it? And it's like, it just seems like very much colonialism and imperialism is talked about in the vast abstract because we never really see how it how odin's legacy directly impacted those who received like the worst brunt of it we never really go over like how that goes over generational stuff and it's just like very quickly brushed over well once again i think that it's because a lot of that focus comes up um more in in the direction and the framing than it does in the script but i think that there are there are like frame there are like shades of that all over the place i mean for one thing when uh you know when thor finds loki posing as odin one of the things that he that he you know rants at him about 
is that is the idea that you know he's been neglecting the other realms and everything and it's kind of like well who said that asgard needs to be the steward of the other realms like i mean you know i just find it hilarious that in choosing to do absolutely nothing but focus on shallow hedonism loki is just automatically a better king by default than odin (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, you know, and you can crit- like there's obviously a lot to criticize in the real world about isolationism and stuff, but these are magic space vikings and <laughs> and Asgard is a Asgard is a city-state of like what, a few hundred thousand people? I think it's like close to like I forgot what, like, the, the number in, like, Loki when it showed, like, the casualties of Asgard. It had, like, almost a million, I think? Yeah, the, I mean, but the point is, is that all things considered, it's very small. So, you know, I feel like Asgard shutting itself off is very different than um, than when a lot of other countries could shut themselves off, you know? Mm-hmm. It, and he is, you know, he is, I mean, I do think that it's... Uh, that it does say something that afterwards everybody's mostly just like, wow, that was Loki the whole time. They're not like pissed off or like you. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's, that's the thing that gets me is like, that to me is the stronger sign that like, clearly he wasn't doing anything that badly. (laughs) (laughs) If, if the only response is just like, wait, what's going on here? And they're all happy to see him in the end when he shows, they're not just like, Oh, what now when he shows up? Like, you know, him showing up out of nowhere is clearly a good thing. Not to focus too much on uh, Infinity War and Endgame, but I do find it very amusing how both Odinson bros, once they become kin and rule Asgard, they just, like, keep entirely to themselves and just, like, pursue very juvenile pleasures. <laughs> I feel like we're getting to some kind of a, and that's why monarchy bad. Um, <laughs> And yet at the same time, you know, <laughs> it's it's funny because that is, again, something that, you know, fanfic that I, you know, and, and like role playing and stuff that I was involved in kept stumbling on because we kept having these moments of one or the other of them just being like, well, you know, what would have made it all a lot better is if there wasn't a goddamn throne in the first place, not a phrase like that, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And then just pausing it immediately and being like, but unfortunately, we're stuck with that anyway. Um. <laughs> Maybe if a dragon melted it. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the subject of executive meddling and that leading to decisions that just don't make any sense, the Hulk and Bruce Banner takes up so much screen time and he just doesn't work here like he has nothing of value to the plot his arc doesn't enrich the theme or the characters and you could replace him with Chewbacca and it would almost make as much sense (laughs) meanwhile you know I I I love weird old guys and I also love big dumb guys (laughs) and so you know I'm 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 fine. I'm fine with the Hulk being there. And you know what? I will, I also have to say this much. I think 
that this is the only thing that ever actually managed to retroactively attach any genuine emotion to the whole thing between him and Black Widow. Yeah. (laughs) Having him react like that and then just kind of using that to move on from it. I mean, for one thing, that's a lot more effective than the well anyway approach taken to um, the entire existence of the Dark World. (laughs) But, you know, I, I did actually feel something. At, at him seeing the video of her and freaking out and that being what reverts him. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to find the right uh, way of expressing this, but I get that Chris Hemsworth was tired of wearing his hair long or wearing a wig and wanted to be like <laughs> his natural hair. But like, he could have, it would have worked so much better if he just like, cut off his own hair as, like, a sign of mourning his father. Like, that would be really good. I mean, like, and instead, it's just, like, once again, another, like, cheap comic relief. Like, oh, no, he's sad because he's getting a forcible haircut. And it's, like, I don't know. Like, character-wise, Thor, you know Thor because long hair is just part of his character. I mean, he loses something with short hair like Samson or Katy Perry. Although when Maureen and I were first discussing this, I pointed out that it could have been so much worse because remember the scene in the very first movie where Loki visits him in the shield cell? (laughs) So that happens to be based on a scene in the Ultimates comics. And in that scene, that the version of it in the comics, Thor is technically still empowered. And they actually had to take him down by, I, I believe, I believe it's that they, like, try to counter his uh, lightning powers by, like, like firing them back to him, but amplified or something. You know, they, they, they kind of, you know, they kind of try to unlimited power him. Um, I'm sorry, that was a Star Wars joke that fell very flat. You, <laughs> you, you, you know the whole thing where, you know... Mm-hmm. Palpatine gets all melted. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, they kind of tried to do that to Thor, and it it basically just knocks him out, and it, you know, burns his clothes, and it also, probably just for the sake of the visual shock value, it also burns most of his hair off. (laughs) So... um, you know, and so it's 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 not that he has short hair; it's that he has a few patches of charred stubble. So it could have been so much worse. <laughs> Although, I mean, I guess we can take small comfort in the fact that after that initial moment, it's not really treated as an ongoingly traumatic experience for him, which is good considering that you know, technically speaking, that's a huge violation of bodily autonomy and all that. And so the fact that afterward he's just like, yeah, weird old man, cut it off. And, like, that's kind of it. It's like, okay, at least we're at that point now. At least he's just at this point vaguely annoyed by it. (laughs) Structure-wise, this had, like, the clunkiest act two of any movie I've seen in recent memory. Because you have this really good conflict of Thor and Hela, and they barely interact in act one, and mostly fight in act three. And if it were up to me, I would have had, like, 
a bottle episode of Act 2 with Thor, Loki, and Hela trapped in a small environment and forced to have, like, sibling talk therapy where they had the shared revelation, wait a minute, we were all used and discarded by our father. He tried to seal us away when we could no longer live up to his expectations. Let's celebrate him no longer able to hurt us anymore with lots of meat and Nine Inch Nails karaoke. See, I personally... This may be getting into spicy territory here, but personally, I like that Hela's irredeemable. I like that she's so much worse than her brothers. I like that she is the most poisonous possible example of what, I mean, you know, of especially as a reflection on Thor, of, you know, because that, that's the thing. Color schemes aside, she does technically have a lot more in common with Thor, at least in terms of what happened to her. She was her father's favorite until she wasn't. Right. And I just feel like they really could have, like, emphasized that more and, like, really Oh, absolutely. That out. No, I, I think that they could have done a lot more with that. But it's... But I, I personally... And it, and normally I am normally I'm all for this kind of thing, but personally I think that it actually makes her a better demonstration of that for her to be too far gone to you know, because that's the thing you know this movie does so much to reiterate the that you know deep down he and Loki do still care about each other they still do stupid shit like get help, <laughs> um, which I I will say one thing. They do feel very siblingy in this movie. Oh, and yeah. I'm so glad <laughs> they do a great job with the sibling dynamic in this movie. Um, but the idea that you know that Hella is completely past that, and as I was saying to Maureen the other day when we were like prepping for this episode, um, I honestly I think that instead of having her get blown away in the climax without a lot of emphasis, um. I would have had, you know, as the palace is getting destroyed or something, they're probably, you know, maybe you could have had her probably already, like, mortally... You know what? This actually would have been a really good excuse to actually make her look at least somewhat half-dead, now that I think about it. Mm. Oh, shit! You're right! Yeah, yeah, even if it was just for the moment of just having her... Oh, my God! Having, you know, and I... Normally, I'm not really in favor of, you know, fucking up a female character this bad. I just want to point that. I mean, normally it really, I I have a limited amount to which I want anybody to get, like, this fucked up and as a sign of this person being a lost cause. And I almost never think this about a female character. But in, in terms of, like, what she represents to the greater plot, just the idea of her being, you know, injured probably already lethally at this point. And just dragging herself toward the throne, screaming a little bit derangedly about how she won. She won. This is hers. You know, she's there. She's the true heir. This is her throne. And, you know, and basically just as she manages to drag herself up onto it and scream something about how, you know, maybe that would be the point where she actually screams that she won that's when the palace like gets basically like slapped out and uh, slapped makes it sound like I'm trying to be funny about it, but you know what like, I as, as, like as Asgard, literally everything she's worked for goes up in flames and she is just queen of the ashes. Pretty much something like pretty much something like that or like, or right at that point as it gets 
as you know, as the you know, Suter is pretty big, you know, and I was just imagining that he almost casually just swipes the palace with his hand or something like that. And it just collapses and completely, um, you know, and she's, yeah, (laughs) you know, I I was just thinking that that, that would be so much more of a demonstration. And then, and then afterward, then that's where you would have the brothers just having a moment of just being like, he kind of did that to all of us though, didn't he? Yeah. That kind of thing. Just like little moments like that just like really pay off. Yeah. Something, something along those lines of realizing that, that, you know, that they both could see themselves in her and what she did. Yeah. Two more issues related to executive meddling. Uh, I was originally really mad that uh, this movie didn't have Jane and Sif when I absolutely loved them in the first two movies. But of course, I understand that Natalie Portman left because she just wasn't interested in where the character was going before, like, the inevitable power-up of Lady Thor. (laughs) Uh, But also that... uh, Jamie Alexander uh, was very busy shooting her show uh, Blindspot at the time and just like couldn't go off to Australia for filming. And it just what the issues I have with those is I get that actors won't be able to be part of a movie. It just but how is that handled in universe? And like Jane has like one line of dialogue and Sif isn't even mentioned at all. So we don't even know what she's up to. Well, I think that the way that Jane is mentioned is probably the most respectful way they could have handled that. Mm-hmm. Because just be, and I say that just because it's not that Natalie wasn't available. It was that at that point, they were probably frantically trying to figure out how they were going to get her back in this franchise. And that's probably why they're now doing the whole Jane is also Thor plotline. But, you know, so it they couldn't really do something where, you know, they can have her off screen doing other things, you know, related to the plot or anything, because that would still eventually raise the question of where is she? And if she didn't intend to come back to it, I mean, if nothing else, I think the idea of her dumping him in that context at least means that she, that the character wasn't disposed of, you know what I mean? Oh, it fair. wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't you know, oh, sorry about what happened to her, you, you know, sorry yeah. about what happened between you and Jane and him just being like, like, yeah, well, she was getting weird or something like that. You know, that would have been, that would have struck me as really disrespectful, but the sorry that Jane dumped you was like, that's kind of the most graceful way I can think of them breaking them up in a way that would potentially leave it open-ended for her to come back, but not, you know, shitting on the character. And at least, you know, at least it was her idea in universe. At least she got tired of this, which, you know, kind of ties back now into all of the jokes about how somehow Loki turned out to be a better boyfriend. (laughs) 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 Uh... And now they, and now even if she's only there for part of it, you know, then now in this new trailer, they seem to actually be giving him like a pirate girlfriend. (laughs) God, a blue-haired pirate girlfriend, and I have to admit, like, I'm the only person who's expressed much, much interest in her, but, you know, I was I was talking about her in one of my group chats earlier, and, you know, because 
I know that because of the, that throwaway joke at the beginning of the trailer that there's a whole lot of people being like, holy shit, by Thor confirmed. And let's be real. Disney is never going to let them confirm by Thor. <laughs> I think there are a lot of characters that they would let them get away with. I don't think I don't think they would let them do that to like a staple Avenger. Although you know? I did read uh, an oh no, they didn't comment saying someone is someone saying I'm going to learn After Effects just so I can have Thor and Star-Lord kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and then we send it to Chris Pratt personally. Yes! Uh, <laughs> but but what I was what I was joking about in the group chat was um so I looking closer at the screenshot Thor's pirate girlfriend. That's not a bandana on her head. That's her hair. Yeah. She has a very elaborate dye pattern on her hair. And the let me find the specific comment I made. Um which was the subterfuge of okay, okay, maybe we have to leave Thor canonically straight. But we're giving him a girlfriend with blue hair and pronouns. <laughs> I I personally I, I personally am a big fan of uh, of calculating straight characters in a way that makes uh, queer phobes feel itchy. So. <laughs> so, what was the moment in this movie? Do you feel that uh, Loki was the best written? Oh God, I I love the "your savior is here" moment. Ah, uh. <laughs> he is he is so he you know I I love that it's on the one hand he is genuinely doing the right thing for the right reasons, but he still has to be Loki about <laughs> it. I I, <laughs> I would have to say uh the scene where it's just him and Thor in an elevator talking about what they want in the future. I feel yeah. like that was definitely one of the very few, like, okay, this is actually going to mean something because it's just two people talking and just being, like, honest and open with each other, and it just worked. Yeah. So... Yeah, also, also you know what? I, I was initially... I was initially very dismissive of this interpretation. Um, and I also felt weird about it being included in there as, as a joke, but I'm going to be honest, as we will talk about in uh, probably our next episode, actually, and we'll get onto our, what our future format's going to be like in just a moment. Um, after, after seeing our flag means death, I think, feel like Taika Waititi is entitled to sneak in as many jokes about uh, Loki sleeping with the Grandmaster as <laughs> as he wants. And I, to be honest, I, I used to feel a little weird about those. I don't anymore. Like, that just feels like, oh yeah, that's just naturally something that would be written into this. Yeah, I feel like maybe I would like this movie better if Jeff Goldblum's character was the same as his character in Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> because both of them are blue aliens who have relationship problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, one thing that I do think that the Grandmaster plot does lend to this, though, is... I think that in some ways he's kind of like, you know, imperialism played out 
to at its most like pathetic and absurd because it's he's literally just he's king of a giant trash pile Mm. (laughs) he is king shit of trash mountain (laughs) and you know and he is you know and it's and it's turned him into just you know this this petty childish well i mean and for that matter you know we don't what little we're given of his backstory also suggests that this is something that he invented himself into after, you know, after some kind of real trauma, but at the same time, it's turned him into such a petty dick that it's like, you know, at this point, it's like, you know, cool backstory. I You're do... still, you know... I do love how... Uh... In the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at uh, Disney's California Adventure, when you're in the waiting queue, yeah, there's a painting of Grandmaster literally flipping over a table rather than admit a loss to the collector when playing like chess. Yeah, and you know what? And I and I love that because, um, for one thing. I, I feel like I am one of like ten people on the internet who really loves the collector as a character. <laughs> I just I, I just I love this creepy weirdo. I and and I think that one of the things that makes him so effective as a character in the MCU is outside of that what if episode. And to some extent even within then, but you know, I also you know, that's also the episode that gave us good guy Thanos. So I is I think one of the things about the collector that really works is the fact that you get a sense you really really can feel that this is a man with all the time in the world mm-hmm. all the time in the universe he's learned to be very patient and very self-satisfied and I think the idea of having you know an antagonistic character where he really is except in very extreme circumstances that unflappable is, you know, and that quietly sinister and weird about shit. Like I, I love that as a detail. So I really like that that creates a huge contrast between him and the grandmaster who was actually his brother in the comics. And I, I like that they kind of hinted at that because they've got the same little like split thing on their lip. Um, but I just, I, um, the fact that, you know, by comparison, the Grandmaster is basically a gigantic child in a lot of ways. You know, he's he's a, he's, you know, he's a middle-aged man and a permanent spoiled child at the same time. He has no patience for anything. He's, you know, extremely fickle. And, you know, and there's absolutely no sense of quiet menace to him whatsoever. Like, you know, he is a little scary in some ways, but he doesn't have he doesn't have that you know oh what's this guy's deal effect going on so i think that that i think that that painting is perfect i mean to bring it full circle like when i was watching uh jesus christ superstar when it got to king herod i'm like oh my god this reminds me so much of the grandmaster and that's how i got inspired yeah no it's i you know i don't even we might not even be the first ones to come up with this because Come to think of it, I know that there was some kind of... And if anybody knows anything about this, please let us know. We would love to cover this. That there was like a a conskit folk musical version of Ragnarok that used the... At the very least, I know that apparently there was a Sakaar scene that used the melody of the temple scene. But it was... It was this 
very slightly EDM version from that concert tour I mentioned earlier, actually, like in terms of the arrangement. And come to think of it, they might have also had the Grandmaster doing a version of Herod's song. I'm not <laughs> sure, though, because in retrospect, I feel like because I, I made a joke to Maureen earlier today about um, imagining him accompanying himself during the instrumental break in the song on the theremin. And afterward, I was just like, I, I feel like I might not have made that up myself. And I'm not <laughs> sure. And it's so easy to picture. I mean, I know that once you know how to play the theremin, you can pull that kind of stuff off pretty quickly. Oh. Um, and also, I can just hear that bit in there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to quickly wrap up with my thoughts on... Uh, Infinity War and Endgame, since technically that is the end of, uh, at least Golden Timeline, Loki's arc of, it does, it at least makes sense that he reaches full redemption, makes a sacrifice, knowing that he won't be able to come back, as heartbreaking as that is. I mean, it makes sense for his character, it's just like, it still hurts. I mean, it just hurts so bad that he's, like, literally, like, the first victim of Thanos to, like, show that, like, anyone can die. But, and um... Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's just, like, congratulations, he's gone forever. Yeah, well, at least that version of him. <laughs> Cause well, yeah, but still. I know, I know. I just, I really, really, truly hope that even if it's just for, like, a cameo, like, five seconds... We see, like, variant Loki find a way to, like, let his presence be known in Love and Thunder. <laughs> Just because, like, you do not have a line, the sun will shine on us again, brother, and then have that not followed up. <laughs> also, can I just say, if they don't hook Thor and Jane back up, I mean, I, I, I think it could go either way, but actually, I got it backwards. If they do hook Thor and Jane up, it's going to be really fucking funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, because, as I've already pointed out to a couple of people online tonight, the, uh, yes, on the one hand, it's Jane Foster, but on the other hand... There was a comic that ended up showing an alternate timeline where they were just both women, you know, where as opposed to Thor being um, a cis man and Loki being gender fluid. There is another timeline where they're both just cis women. <laughs> and that Thor looks exactly like Jane Foster as Thor. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I just, I'm just, I'm so happy because like... No sooner had the trailer come out than Etsy did not fail me, and it showed, like, uh, pre-made costumes. Now, I'm not gonna buy it, but just, like, to get, like, the full reference of, like, the turnaround, and, like, seeing another shop have, like, a 3D pattern of her armor. So, I really hope this summer <laughs> to do the ending of Grace with the Thor cosplayer I know saying, Sandy? And me just walking in with Milner. Tell me about it, stud. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Which actually reminds me that since we have kind of run out of Loki content, um, we're going to be doing a series of like specials and sidelines and possibly even posting them under podcast names. And that reminded me because um, one of the first jokes that I saw coming out of Our Flag Means Death was uh, Steed in, in Ed's Mad Max costume waving in the doorway but captioned, tell me about it, stud. <laughs> but yeah um yeah in case you've been uh in case you've been hiding under a rock you know um our flag means death which is a pirate comedy on hbo max has somehow managed to remain the biggest show in the u.s um for about three three weeks to a month now um even with moon Knight also being a thing <laughs> and- so our in true so, me fashion, I just wa- started watching it out of curiosity just to see if, like, there was... Just to, like, get a better taste of, like, Taika Waititi's sense of humor. And I just, like, completely fell head over heels in love with this. Like, and I would not stop texting Megan about, like, all the memes, all the jokes, like, all my feelings. Yeah, no, we're... We're, we're really... It, it's, it's gay pirate summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I, with it, that in mind, our, our next episode is going to be just, it, we're not going to do it episode by episode, but our next episode, sort of a, sort of like a, a special under the same banner or something is actually going to be us going into depth on the first season of Our Flag Means Death. Yeah, because now that Loki's journey in the MCU films is concluded and it's going to be a really long time since season two news comes out, I feel like I've kind of shot this show in the foot by having such a limited scope, kind of like, sir, we only play 1980s Billy Joel. (laughs) But as much as we love Loki here, uh, we have just as much passion for other topics and we do have uh, a pretty solid roster of uh stuff to come out uh so next up uh we're gonna do our flag means death and then in may we're gonna talk about batman and in june we are going to do to obi-wan what we did to loki uh it's gonna be called so uncivilized and we will recap and review the obi-wan kenobi series aka the other depressed space wizard who got disney plus spinoff (laughs) and by the time that series wraps up we'll tell you our thoughts on thor love and thunder and see if thor can stand on his own two feet in a movie without his brother and until we get proper news and updates on loki season two we're just probably going to talk about gay pirates for the rest of the year (laughs) i actually based on maureen's uh falling in love with our flag means death i um I suggested that we do, like, even if we do a similar watch and recap uh, series about Black Sails, which is four seasons long, so we actually have a lot of material for that. We can probably keep that one going for a while, (laughs) to the point where we might actually need to launch that one as a separate podcast. I know, like, at that rate, we might as well rename this Burden with Glorious Pirates. our sign off even if we use a different name or something um but you know i i figured that maureen especially and maybe some of you who are listening for loki reasons um 
one of the biggest themes of Black Sails is the construction of monstrosity and what happens when the narrative makes you into a monster, whether you like it or not. And that, and, you know, and having a specific role to play because uh, your oppressors demand it. And that, you know, it's, it's a lot deeper in black sales, I have to admit, but you know, we have fun here. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it'll be really fun because I mean, especially with her having just watched our flag means death, there's a couple of points in there where, um, you know, I know that David Jenkins, the showrunner on our flag means death has said that he's never seen black sales. Somebody involved in that show has seen black sales, even if it wasn't him. There are way too many riffs on it for that to be coincidental. So in just a few months, hang in there and uh, we will we will be uh, coming at you with um, prime content. Prime content. <laughs> pirates, pirates, pirates. <laughs> Get hype. We're still working on the title, but we're let you know. Ahoy. Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, with that in mind, we will see you next time when we uh, talk things through as a crew with a special episode on our flight news app. Yep. See you soon on the high seas. Bye.